Welcome to Ballet Initiative. I'm Christian Kudnick. On this episode, the legendary Heather Watts. Heather and I start right in talking about Nancy Bursky's new film, Afternoon of a Fawn. Yeah, I'm really glad it was made. It seems like a no-brainer now that it's done. And I think she did a beautiful uh, job. I mean, there's, you know, to see that one moment of, 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 of um, dewdrop was just heart-wrenching to me because, of course, that was like, wow, I, you know, I never saw anything. And then to see, I don't know, it was just so beautiful. Um, yeah, I was, I was really happy. I, I, I've worked with Nancy the last... I don't know, Barbara Horgan introduced us like two years ago. And I was able to be a little help to them in, in some of the funding and stuff. And I just really am so appreciative of the fact that someone not from the dance world even decided to remember Tanny and add her into the you know ongoing legacy because of course, she looms so large to all of us, but somehow we had neglected to, you know, take care of her memory. Did you get to meet Tanny? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I have, as we all do, regrets about not pursuing a deeper relationship. Um, I actually have a very amazing story shortly very shortly before she died, I got a phone call in Connecticut uh, when Damien and I got married. Um, Tanny left a message on our little phone in Connecticut, and she said, won't you come come over to Weston, and it's Tanny, and, and have lamb chops, and Eddie will bring you Bigelow. And um, I mean, you know, like we fainted when we got the message. It was so sweet. Um, and the fun part of that message, which is we didn't have her, she didn't leave her phone number. Now, I assume she had gotten my number from the phone book in Washington, Connecticut, Heather Watts. So we looked for her phone number in the, in the, uh, in the phone book. We called the operator, and, and Damien, being a very clever guy, when they said there wasn't a Tanaquilla clerk, said, but there, I don't know how we got there. Yeah, but there is a Tanaquil Balanchine. No, I mean a George Balanchine. Really? At that address or something like that. It was, it was very funny. And so it was like 50 years later, she was still listed as George Balanchine in the phone book, which was just so, like to me, such a gift on my marriage. <laughs> that's great. You know, and I, I ended up marrying a a ballet dancer, and that's how I came into this. And she trained at the School of American Ballet. Jennifer's her name, and I'll introduce you through this this medium. Um, and she remembers watching you and your retirement um, performance. And she was at the school with you know Benjamin and Stephen Hanna and that that generation of dancers. Tell me again, Benjamin, as in Milpier? Yes. So who else? Uh, Stephen Hanna. Stephen, yeah, give me a girl, Maria Kurowski. Kurowski, I think, was maybe um, a class higher than she was. Oh, so she was at the very end of my career, but she was at a nice place for Damien's career then. Yes, and uh, of course she had a crush on him. Oh, of course she did. Because that's how, you know, I guess it goes when, you know, when you're the prince. Yes, of 
course, and she must be there. Now, was she a child? Was she a New York child, or did she go to... Did she come from somewhere else to go to SAB? No, she came from St. Louis. Um, she was. From, oh my God! So she is a Maria kid. Yeah, so she's of that period, and she went to Kansas City to audition. Oh, fabulous! And with then, with Todd. And then you know representatives from SAB, and the teacher's name is escaping me right now. That's that's okay. That's, that's okay. Terrible. I you know I was I was out the door as she was entering, so she's really you know more the people that Damien would know, which because Damien is, what, like 13 years younger than me, which is, a, which is a lot in, well, it depends on the time. When he was very young, it was a lot, and then it wasn't a lot for a long time, and now it seems like a lot again. But you know what? She got to study with um, Stanley Williams, who I wanted to ask you about. Oh, and, my God. And everybody. I, can't, I think a documentary talking about Tanny. I think well, someone. You know, there, it's funny you should say that. When I was had just left the company, I thought, I want to do a documentary on Stanley. And I, I went to Peter and said, I want to do this. And he said, well, actually, Ann Bell is doing one. It's being done, and it's all, you know, what do you call it, authorized. And instead of being the bitch I should have been, which was, well, I'm just going to do an unauthorized one. Um, <laughs> and then Ann Bell died. And so there is a lot of footage, I think, somewhere, which is valuable, I guess. I've never looked back into it. Um, yes, everybody everybody loved Stanley, or everybody should have loved Stanley. I mean, first of all, he was eminently lovable, but on a on a on a much more <laughs> uh, cerebral level, I mean, he was the most sophisticated teacher of dance and and his teachings were so forward thinking, so profound, so I mean, your your wife Jennifer. Um, would be counting in his last important classes, I guess. And, um, you know, I studied with Stanley the entire time. In fact, like your wife, when I, was, when I came to New York, um, I was 13 in the summer. And of all the teachers already, I mean, he was the one that spoke to me. I mean, I had Danilova and Tumkovsky and the great teachers um, they seemed foreign to me in a way that Stanley's teaching really intrigued me from the get-go. Uh, I mean, certainly my, my village was full um, with Mr. Balanchine and then Jerry, but Stanley was with Mr. Balanchine, the voice that spoke to me the whole time. His way of thinking about dance really connected, made me interested in dance for real, um, you know, for, for, for real. Well, a couple points that I'll, I'll make, if I may, I, I, can, I can say that, um, if you ever decide to pick that documentary up, I have some experience in that realm and would certainly help you. And I'm interested in that. And this is why, because here's a, some sort of anecdotal type of thing is, is my wife would say that, you know, at, the, at this point in history, you could smoke in the building and you, she totally. could smell We all did, pipe. between the bar and the center. <laughs> and I don't laugh about it. It's, I can't sleep at night because I smoked. It's terrible. But, it was terrible, Heather. It was a terrible thing. Oh, my God. And Peter and Misha and me standing and Ricky Weiss standing at the bar lighting up. And, you know, it was like, 
and Stanley lighting his pipe, and we're and then we just put our cigarettes out on the floor of our gorgeous studio. I mean, yikers! What were we thinking? Right, right. Well, she she said that she could smell his pipe, and it was just the greatest smell, and and that he had this real gentle way of he could just sort of touch you, and you could make that correction, or you would understand. Oh, and just say these words to her when you next see her. Yes, but no. Or he'd say, uh, he'd say, um, big toe or knee as a correction. And we'd all like, it was almost, I mean, people have used this word before me. It's not my, it's not my thinking on it because I don't really even know what it means. But it was very zen. It was very quiet in the room. He could really draw your attention to him. Um, and it was aspirational. <clears throat> the, the, the level of dance we were trying to achieve was not achievable. Another part of my Stanley story is I've, I've been talking to ballet day. I'm a non-dancer, but I'm just, uh, and I, I'm starting to really dislike the bun head term. I wish I could, someone could come up with a better term for um, somebody who pr- appreciates the history and the line. And for me, it's moving sculpture, you know, to me in my mind as a non-dancer. And I'm fascinated with Balanchine and the history. So I guess I could come off as the bun head, but I love lots of things, you know. Um, but uh, I would talk to um, dancers years ago, and I had the fortune to talk with Peter Bowl just as he was about to leave and go to PMB to be the director. And we talked about Stanley, and I guess this relates to a dancer's burnout where you start to physically feel you know, why am I doing this? And he said that if it wasn't for Stanley, who was teaching to his mind as well as his body, he would have probably given up long ago. Do you feel that that's accurate for you, maybe? Oh, no. For me, it was like I never would have bothered to do it. <laughs> you know, I, it wasn't at the end. It was at the beginning and all the way through. The, the way he grabbed my mind made dance important in a way that was worth doing. The goal was so sophisticated. The problem was scientific almost in its simplicity in the, you know, it wasn't work, it wasn't sweat, it wasn't, it was, it was refined in a way that was crystalline clear, the goal. And we could stand as equals with the greatest dancers in the room as a young dancer and all try to achieve the same goal in a very different way than I've ever experienced in a room, in a non-competitive, each person working to their personal goal, but the highest goal in the room. You know, if somebody did it, everybody was like, whoa. There was none of the, and let me use the word in a derogatory way, bunheadish kind of, you know, competitiveness. There was an, uh, you know, going over the leg from Conan to Arabesque for a dancer like, you know, a young dancer like Darcy who could actually do that physically. She could do that. We couldn't. I couldn't. And I saw her do it and I loved it and appreciated it, you know. And so Stanley's getting that she can do it and pushing her further and we're all pushing to get there. It's a, 
you know, it's got nothing to do with, you know, dedication or, you know, the nun-like aspects of dancing, of working hard or the overdramatic. It's a mental. So, yes, the use of Peter, Peter's word of uh, Peter Bowl on, on mind, yes, but it wasn't that it kept me going. It was that it got me started. He's definitely someone that I think within our dance community should be celebrated. And uh, I hope one day, and I'd love to be a part of it, um, but... I mean, the thing with Stanley is, you know, and I mean, I've thought about this as I've gotten older, um, the love and respect with which we all come to it, uh, we all have our own Stanley, like we all have our own Balanchine, and it makes the making of the documentary seem like almost it should come from outside, you know, um, so that all of our voices are equal. Because I think my Stanley is not everybody else's Stanley, you know. Respectfully. I'll do and, it. I'll do it, Heather. Good, good. Because then you get us all, and that's what he deserves, you know. He deserves every voice rising to, yeah, yeah, when he would say to us, yeah, yeah, and you know, every once in a while there'll be a little thread on Facebook and people will write just me. Yeah. And you know who you're talking about. And then somebody says big toe and then somebody says don't turn. You know, and you don't have to write Stanley Williams. It's code for the greatest teacher who ever lived. <laughs> you know, and many, many people, you know, many people from with the privilege um, would say Balanchine was the great teacher. But you see, Balanchine wasn't, you know, I mean, it took a village, man. And, and you know, to do what Balanchine was doing took all of them. And Balanchine's teachings grew over time. So, again, as did families, you know, grew with the progress that they made with their students. But Balanchine's, goals were specific to the work. Uh, so were Stanley's. So were Stanley's. Stanley's goals, I mean, Stanley would come to the ballet, you know, and he would, I remember once, you know, he, uh, towards, you know, after Mr. Balanchine was gone, I remember once he saw me do Bugaku, and he talked to me in a very, it was, it was probably the most flattering and deeply personal conversation we ever had about my dancing. And it had to do with feet and legs and talking to the audience in that opening scene in, in Bugaku where I do what most people would consider, you know, very little. Uh, it's, a, it's a female solo, but it's, it's very minute, delicate movements that are... very tamped down and very eloquent. And Stanley's work certainly informed how I was capable of doing that and doing it without Mr. Balanchine there, you see. So it, the personal thing became, the goal became clearer after Mr. Balanchine died that, that it was connected to the work. In a weird way, in my mind, in the beautiful long years with both Balan- with all of them, with Jerry and Stanley and Mr. Balanchine. They were very distinct voices, all contributing to what we all did. You know, for those of us who still 
who utilized Stanley on a daily basis, and there, and there were quite a few of us. Um, you know, it was hard to do, and you had to get to a certain level where you could take the, the men's class. You know, very few of us were allowed to do that because, you know, we couldn't, I guess it just couldn't be chaos reigning. So a sort of unspoken sort of principal girls or leading girls or were allowed to take the 1230 class, which meant you couldn't be rehearsing at 1230. And it, so that meant you could take Stanley, you could take Balanchine's class and Stanley's class, or later, when Mr. Balanchine wasn't able to teach as often, you would use that as your ballet class. And go, I would go on Mondays to the girls' class, to your wife's class at 10.30. And then during the week, when I w- didn't have a rehearsal, I would go to Stanley's men's class because that's what was available to me. Um, but it wasn't available to everybody. Everybody in the company was not allowed to take that class. And so there was the gift of getting more as you had advanced in your, you know, in the hierarchy. Um, But so the work could stay, you know, certainly Meryl was there, Kira was there, um, Suzanne took a bit, Patty took often. Uh, So, and, and then as we got, you know, older, Darcy would be there when she was injured, and, and then Nicole Halinka. So there was a core group of us that did take Stanley a lot. And, and I think it showed in certain areas, certainly Gelsey being a, a young example of what Stanley could do with footwork and refinement as the goal. Um, and, you know, it was very personal to Stanley as, as much of Mr. Balanchine's teaching were personal to him. You know, and Balanchine used to say to us, you know, it'll be different when I'm gone. You know, I'm a dentist. I stand here every day and pull teeth and make you do it. Uh, and that's what it takes. And it'll be different when I'm not here. If bodies will be different, the technique will be different, life will be different. And, you know, I thought, no, no, it'll all be, of course, it's very different. Um, The aesthetic, the work was the work was the work was the goal. It wasn't like we worked on theme and variations or we worked on Bugaku. We worked on, we worked on thought in a way, you know, I mean, I laughed. I, I went to teach at a very prestigious place, uh, college, and when I finished teaching this master class, one of the people very high up in dance who, who works there said to me, you know, I, she came towards me. She's beautiful and smart, and, and you know, I admire her, and, and, I, I, and she was like, I think I thought she was going to say, "Oh wow, what an amazing class." And she said to me the oddest thing, and I've thought about it in these last couple of years. She said to me, "My god, you have the most amazing tondu." And for a moment I felt I was like slapped. I was like, well, "I'm some old lady, like who cares? I don't What do you mean tondu? I haven't done. That's not a tondu. I don't even know what she's talking about. And then I realized over years, over these past couple of years, that, you know, that's how deep the training is. That without doing anything for almost 20 years, 
we can still just sort of do tondu because that's the basis of dance, and that's what we did. That's what we did with Balanchine. That's what we did with Stanley. We did tondus. We did millions and zillions and <laughs> trillions of tondus. 32 tondus front, right? No, 64 and then 32 and then another 64 and then, you know. And so, so this lady wasn't crazy. She was right. Wow, you look like a little middle-aged lady, but wow, do you have a tondu? Well, yeah, kind of goes with the territory. I had never thought of it that simply. Who discovered you? I should double back a little bit, and, and now um, Susie Pilar is the, um, the teacher who discovered my wife in Kansas City and invited her back to the School of American Ballet. And I apologize to her for uh, forgetting her name earlier, but uh, Susie Pilar, founder in Kansas City, who found you? Um, well, it's an interesting story because I was one of the Ford Foundation um, students. So, so the story goes very simply where it's, um, the, you know, 1964, my ballet teacher in California threw us all in a station wagon, took us down to Midsummer Night's Dream. They looked at me and some of the other young girls from my studio. Balanchine came over, asked me to do it. Devil Pales Cone, I did it. He said, point your foot. Then he drove to my ballet studio, got lost on the freeway, watched my teacher teach, and sort of, I'm going to use this word, I don't think it's real, accredited her. She then was invited to come back to New York to take his seminars, where she would return and teach us the beginnings of his techniques or ideas or thoughts or how he was approaching dance at that time that the Ford Foundation was paying for. And then they would send ballerinas out to, to the local schools, and she became a school they came to. So my teacher was Sheila Roseanne, and through, through me and a couple of other girls from my studio being in midsummer, her school got looked at by Mr. Balanchine, and she entered into the magical Ford Foundation kingdom where she was brought to New York for a week every year to, to watch Mr. Balanchine teach, and her school would be looked at at a yearly basis. So um, the very first year, Diana Adams came and I got an honorary scholarship to stay in California where they would pay, but my father had enough money, so I didn't, I didn't qualify for money, but I got the scholarship anyway to encourage me. And then the next year, I, over the years, the people that were involved were Jelana, which is amazing because we're Facebook friends now, <laughs> and I really admire her, and she was an amazing uh, spirit and woman in dance, and uh, Violette Verdi. And Violette um, is the one who talked to my parents and took the time to explain. My, my father is an aerospace engineer, and my mother was a war bride from England. I have two brothers and a sister. Uh, dance wasn't on their radar for me. It was one of the things we did. My brothers were in Little League. I took ballet. I took acting. I really wanted to be a movie star. I didn't know anything about ballet. Um, Midsummer, that experience being a bug, really changed my life. Suzanne Farrell, Suki Shore, Arthur Mitchell, Edward Valella. These people were so beautiful. I mean, Suzanne was like 19 or something. 
and just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. And Midsummer was unbelievable, and the attention of Mr. Balanchine asking me to do a développé, and Suki was wearing blue points. I mean, it was too much. You know, I was, I guess, like 12 or something. So anyway, I came to New York, and Violette was sort of my sponsor, really. I guess it would be referred to as Violette. But Jelana and Diana were certainly in there, and people I owe a great debt to. Violette's the one who went, ooh, la, la, and then ran and talked to my parents and convinced them. And over the years, my biggest sponsor was Natasha Gleboff. I was not the most, uh, and it's such an old story, I can't even remember it, but I, you know, I had some tr- adjustment tr- troubles when I moved to New York. And Madame Gleboff, Natasha, really kept me, kept me there. And when I, you know, I got into a little... Kids kind of trouble. I was late for classes. I didn't know how to take the bus. I didn't show up all the time. I was kind of a little, you know, I was a little bit of a, Balanchine used to call me a flower child. (laughs) Um, And those were the days. So I was a little kid from California thrown into New York at 15. And um, Natasha, and, you know, those were the eyes. Barbara Horgan. Balanchine's longtime assistant and dear friend, you know, now, um, you know, she had her eye on me. They all watched me. Balanchine was finally just took me in the company. The school was sending me home saying you should, you know, go back to California mature. My father was like, I didn't even know she was in trouble. She's not, she's coming home and staying. And and, uh, Balanchine was like, oh, please, just send her to the company. I'll do it kind of thing. And so that was the beginning. And, you know, it kind of dogged me. I was never typical of whatever I was, you know, I didn't have a normal path. Um, And I guess I kind of always lived on that edge. And I guess that, I don't guess, and that did continue. I was always sort of Atypical, if you will. What were your parents' uh, concerns? I can imagine your father thinking that, oh, yes, we're sending our daughter off to the Russians. What were their concerns about you going to New York? Well, it wasn't something they had considered. Uh, My mother's concern was, what if it doesn't work out? Um, So I was, so I learned, I had to take typing in shorthand. Consequently, I don't drive. I took typing instead of driver's ed. (laughs) Um, You know, their concerns were those of any parents. Um, What will she do if she doesn't dance? And what does being a dancer consist of? So, you know, it's a long time ago. There weren't a lot of other companies. Uh, There was no company in Miami. There was a company in... Salt Lake and a company in San Francisco, and right about that time, Francia was starting PNB. There was Boston, and there was, you know, uh, Barbara in Pennsylvania. And frankly, at one point early in my career at City Ballet, I seriously thought of going to Pennsylvania. I thought, well, I'm not dancing here. I'm not doing Barocco. Um and they do Barocco. If I go there, maybe I'll do Barocco. 
Now, I didn't even mean the lead. I meant the core. I mean, I had a slow, you know, don't forget, Balanchine took me and said to me, you're not going to dance. You're going to learn to dance. They don't want you at the school. I'll teach you. But I thought I was a normal company. I was impatient and... You know, you don't see yourself. I was not, um, uh, I don't know the words. It, when I see young dancers today who are confused, I understand them quite handily. And Balanchine used a very, very firm hand with me. He didn't mince words. He made it clear I was his last option. And I was in the company for a com- four to five, four, four years of you're a mess, pull it together, girl, before I started dancing things, meaning across the board, meaning good core roles and leading roles. I mean, I, would get, I would, was getting into the core of Raymond at the same time he was putting me in very similar time to being put, yeah, 74, I'm starting to get some good core ballets. 75, he put me in second movement symphony in C, briefly, and ripped me back out. But I think he put me there not because he thought I could do it, but to show me what was available if I did the work, if I buckled down. It's extraordinary to hear you say that, I mean, given what we know about Mr. Balanchine and his legacy and, and and all this that you know at this age you were you were all right to go down go south to go to you know to Pennsylvania Ballet if need be you know I, I don't think I've ever heard uh, a ballerina say ever that they considered oh yeah I'd, I'd consider leaving this situation what was so what was going on with you at this time and well it was you know I mean I had a very odd I mean, I had the dilemma of who are you really? Is it that you want to be a Balanchine ballerina or is it that you want to dance those ballets? And he had patience with you and... and... Well, he had anger and patience. He was impatient. He was angry with me a lot of the time. Um, Kira, who was, you know, just younger, but we, but we came up together. Kira's probably a good four to five years younger than me, which in, during that, but she got in with a strong technique and a strong, disciplined, uh, self-starter mind. I didn't have either of those things. I had a very, I, I would look at myself as having a wobbly, you know, the word potential was always being bandied about. <laughs> So, you know, I was, I was wobbly. And you don't see that so much anymore. Most dancers who, who end up getting to New York or SAB are pretty strong. Um, I, I was, you know, plus, you know, I had scoliosis. I, I wasn't like the other girls in any way looking at it now. I didn't really know that then. Um, it's a slightly uncomfortable to talk about it only because it's so many years ago, but it sort of is the basis for the, the career I had for the place, places I've gone and the life I've lived. It didn't start atypical and it certainly hasn't ended up atypical. Um, you know, my, my, my career and my, and the second part of my life have a, have a connecting arc. 
um, and at the heart of it is the patience and impatience that Balanchine showed and that even, you know, uh, you know, even, even Stanley, who was, you know, famously even keeled, could be, you know, he used to laugh about my workshop. He put me in conservatoriette and he would say he just sat holding his breath to see if I could make the grand plie at the beginning of the ballet. You know, I don't think he, I don't know his relationship personally with the other dancers on that level, but, you know, it was sort of, I was sort of a, I mean, for want of a better word, a black sheep. But an openly acknowledged, talented one, I can see that now. I didn't know that then. You know, it's all very confusing when you're young. I'm sure. I'm sure Jennifer's explained to you there's something weird about dance. I, I would assume it holds true with other fields where there is no score. You know, it's like, well, why am I such a hot shot, but everybody's mad at me? And, and I do see that in young dancers today. I do. I, you know, I, work, I work, frankly, with a beautiful, you know, sometimes boys are, you know, can be a little self-destructive. They stop. They storm off. They, they don't do what's in their best interest. You know, I remember when Damien was a young dancer, I remember saying to him, you run funny. We were in a, Peter had done a ballet. We were, we were both in. He was in the core and, and I was the lead. And, and he had to lift Nicole and run off. And he ran off kicking his butt, like all kind of like floppy looking. And I said to him, you can't really run like that and be a first dancer. Now, what's the message? The message is you're destined to be a first dancer, so you better fix your running. Right? But what, what do you think he thought? Do you think he thought, heard the good or the bad? I think he heard the bad. Right. You know, that's, dancers are very sensitive that way. And they, instead of hearing, oh, my God, I'm going to be a first dancer if I can learn to run, it's like, I don't run well. I'm bad. Well, and in a way, look at all the dancers that were around you and in the company at that time. I mean, just name off a few. My colleagues or, the, or the, my predecessors. When you mm-hmm. just got there. When oh, my God. Well, it. it was Violette and, and uh, well, I mean, Suzanne was gone, heartbreak of my life. Suzanne had left, had been fired and left in 1970 uh, or 69, and I came in the fall. She left in May. I was just heart crestfallen. Um, I had not been able to see the company perform in those years between midsummer and I was avidly, you know, waiting for Dance Magazine every month to look at pictures of her, and then, boom, she's gone. But she's standing right there with Allegra, Kay Mazo, um, Violette, Melissa Hayden, uh, and the young Gelsey, who, although we were almost identical in age, was already, I think, a soloist or something. When I was in the school, Gelsey was doing theme and variations with Eddie Valella. Uh, so, you know, it was always really a tragedy for me personally what happened with Gelsey because she was my only, like, colleague. Oddly, Mar- Mariana Tchaikovsky went to ballet theater, a dancer I tremendously admired, um, and she was destined for ballet theater and that repertoire, but we were in the school together. And Gelsey was my age, so I kind of floated around with no, you know, 
other colleagues. I got in the company alone. I was promoted to soloist alone. Um, and then I was promoted with Kira to principal. Well, for me, I can look at it and say, I mean, you look at the talent that was around you, and certainly the older, the principals who were carrying the company during that period. And in a, in a weird way, you had a, a drive. You know what I mean? You were, you were uh, the way you were back then, but look what was there. Look what was on stage. And Mr. Balanchine's dealing with all this drama with Suzanne, and he loses his, you know, his prima at the time. And still he's working with you try to sort you out and put you on the right path. And I, I see it as a young dancer who had, in these times, uh, a particular drive is what I see. So I guess, in a way, relating the Damien story uh, to your story, um, I see a driven dancer in you. And, and though you may not have been typical and nodding your head and smiling and, and, and that sort of thing, I, I certainly could see the drive in what you're telling me. I mean, you know. Listen, you know... The Suzanne thing was not really talked about, but it. But it. I remember I was doing the core of diamonds, and I, I didn't have white shoes, and so I painted them with something like the other girls did. But I guess I did. I don't know how it came to pass. But Balanchine came up to me and he said, "You're. Why don't you have white shoes?" And I said, "I haven't ordered them yet." And he said, "What size do you wear?" And I told him, and he said, "Okay, go see Eddie." So I go to Edward Bigelow, who was his right hand, who was just such a huge part of our life in every way, and I said, Mr. Balanchine told me to talk to you about white shoes, and I don't know why, um, because he wasn't the shoe guy. Roland Vasquez was the shoe guy, and he said, oh, I have some white shoes. What is your size? And I told him, he said, I have some white shoes, and I said, oh, great, um, why, or I didn't, I don't know how we got there, but it turned out, hang on to your horses, that the entire time that Mr., that Suzanne was gone and she was here in New York, she hurt herself, she joined Canada and hurt her knee and she was taking class at the school. And at one point when Mr. Balanchine was sort of yelling at me about something when I was in the school, he said, well, if you're going to go skip class, at least go watch D and watch Suzanne. I mean, that's an amazing, like, think about that. Go watch Suzanne. Skip class and watch Suzanne. Yeah. Don't skip class, dear. Why aren't you taking class? You only take Stanley. They're very angry with you at the school. Be a good girl. Okay, but if you're not going to be in class, go next door and watch Suzanne, who's just been fired a year before. Then I get into the company, and Ed, Eddie Bigelow says to me, oh, here's some white shoes for diamonds. I have them because they're Suzanne's. And I say, oh, and he says, yes, and somehow he gets around to telling me that Mr. Balanchine has him giving Suzanne's shoes because she can't afford them. So that Suzanne, behind Suzanne's back, Eddie Biggle, Balanchine is telling Eddie, give her her shoes. Wow. So she can dance. Crazy. Like, I don't even know if Suzanne knows this. I mean, maybe it was Eddie. But Balanchine knew that Eddie was giving Suzanne shoes, her shoes. And I somehow got privy to this information early on, and it was very instructive. Yes, she was fired. But what did he really want? He really wanted her to be able to dance. 
So are you saying at the time she couldn't afford shoes? Well, she didn't work anywhere. Nobody would hire her because she was Balanchine's girl. She was married to a young guy. They were both unemployed. She was 24 years old or 23 years old, no job. We didn't make any money back then. I mean, when, when I got in the company, I, I made, I don't know, like $50 a week or something. And, I, I mean, I know Suzanne was a principal, but, you know, don't forget, when I was 16, I was already, like, 17, you know, Peter was a principal, and he wasn't making any money. So Suzanne hadn't been making any money. So, I mean, that's just derail, I'm not trying to derail a train, but the money of things back in those days, was it when the union came in that dancers finally started getting proper health care and retirement and Oh, we had, I, when I got there, we had a union. By that time, you know, we were, we were the highest paid dancers in America. But, and we had health insurance, and we had a union, which I loathed, our stupid union, because they were always butting in. I mean, Balanchine treated us the best of any dancers in the world. I, he set the standards the most he could. But, you know, there's a limit, I mean, don't forget where it was. It was New York in the 70s. The city was bankrupt. I mean, New York City almost went bankrupt in the 70s. It was the John Lindsay years. You're probably very young. I don't know how old you are, but historically, I mean, we didn't have track. We used to have, like, no services in the city. Hmm. It's like what Detroit's going through now is what, a more, a more serious, I mean, they saved New York City from bankruptcy in the 70s, and that's when Balanchine's like heyday. So he's finally like amassed everything and gotten to Lincoln Center, and then the economy collapsed. So, I mean, he used to say to us, cut your ribbons off your shoes, girls, because even though you need, we need to buy you shoes, we can save money on the ribbons. That concludes part one of my conversation with legendary principal dancer of the New York City Ballet, Heather Watts. Check out part two for the conclusion of our conversation. Ballet Initiative is a nonprofit organization based in America's heartland, St. Louis, Missouri. Our mission is to teach dancers to dance and to raise the profile of ballet. Take a look at balletinitiative.com, Facebook, and Twitter for details on our winter and summer intensive programs for students. If you'd like to listen to the Ballet Initiative podcast on the go, you can have the show delivered directly to your smartphone for free by using the iTunes and Stitcher apps. My thanks to Heather Watts. Until next time, for Ballet Initiative, I'm Christian Kudnick.